Do you want to stop yelling and have your child listen to? Well, I have exciting news for you. If you're hearing this right now, it means that the doors to mindful parenting are open at mindfulparentingcourse.com. This only happens for a limited time, and it may be perfect for you if you want to be that patient, calm parent, but you're afraid of being walked all over, you're losing it, and you want to be that steady, peaceful parent, you don't have a cohesive method, and you take in bad advice like just count to one, two, three. Mindful parenting is an evidence-based system that not only teaches you how to calm your reactivity, but offers you a ton of personal guidance. A lot of other parenting coaches talk about the best way to respond to your child, but guess what? They don't walk you through the research-proven practices that it really takes to create changes that actually last. Mindful parenting teaches you the specific steps to create cooperative, loving relationships for life. In Mindful Parenting, you can learn how to stay calm, even if you find yourself shouting hourly now. Be present for your child no matter what they're going through. Resolve conflicts easily without yelling or taking away the iPad. Set limits without your child resenting you for days afterward. And build trust between you and your child so that you avoid misery in the teen years. The doors are open now at mindfulparentingcourse.com. Unlike other programs in Mindful Parenting, we offer one-on-one coaching to every member and weekly drop-in coaching sessions. Don't wait anymore. You and your kids are worth leveling up. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com and join now before the doors close again. That's mindfulparentingcourse.com. I'll see you there. We want our kids to fail at home. We want them to experience those lessons now while it's safe and they're loved and cared for. And we can talk about it and dialogue and go, huh, that happened. What do we maybe need to do differently next time? Not give them everything they want and never let them have a bad experience or a negative feeling. And then they get out into the world and they're shocked and they're not prepared. That's, that's not loving them well. You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode 201. Today, we're talking about how to handle chores at every age with Dina Thayer and Kira Dorian. Welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. Here, it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clark-Fields, Mindful Mama Mentor. I help smart, thoughtful parents stay calm so they can have strong, connected relationships with their children. I've been practicing mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of the Mindful Parenting Membership, and I'm the author of Raising Good Humans, a mindful guide to breaking the cycle of reactive parenting and raising kind, confident kids. Welcome back, dear listener. So glad to connect once again. And a very special welcome to you. Of course, if you are new, rock on for you. So happy to be here with you. In just a moment, I'm going to be sitting down with Dina Thayer and Kira Dorian. And they are the amazing parent coaches from Future Focus Parenting and the podcast hosts as well. And they co-host the Raising Adults podcast, which is so cool. And today we're going to be talking about chores, dun, 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 right? Like, you know, we, we want this, right? Who doesn't wish their child would do more around the house? Um, so we're going to talk about why we have to get over our hesitancy towards fostering responsibility and how to handle chores at every age and stage that your children are at. So whether you have young ones or older ones, this is a must-listen episode. So I want you to listen for a few takeaways. Talking, We're going to talk about building the link between responsibilities and privilege, what chores to give at what ages, and what to do when kids have resistance to chores. So we cover the whole thing, my friend, and I think you are going to love this episode. And as I offer this, I just want to let you know that 
There may be a few spots left in my coaching programs that are starting real soon in January. And if you would like to learn more about that, you can go to mindfulmamamentor.com. And this is for you to get the highest level of personal attention, accountability, and really there's nowhere to hide. So you become one of my VIPs and we sort it all out. It becomes the work that changes everything. So if you are interested in that, please check mindfulmamamentor.com or email me at hunter at mindfulmamamentor.com to see if there are a few spaces left. And I wanna let you know that we are gonna be doing a brand new challenge that is gonna be totally free for everybody. So tell your friends, it's gonna be the 10 day calm and connected challenge. And that is going to be starting on January 13th. So exciting. So go to mindfulmamamentor.com, make sure you're part of it. And that way we can connect and take this work out of the podcast and into real life. All right. Awesome. So thank you so much for listening. I know you're going to love this episode. So let's dive right in. Dina and Kira, thanks so much for coming on the Mindful Mama podcast. Thanks for having us. I'm excited to have you. And you have your own podcast, Future Focused Parenting. You do parent coaching and things like that. And I'm so excited for you to talk to you about this because we're going to be talking about, you know, giving our kids responsibilities. And I just like, um, I was thinking about this um, and I'd like to ask my guests like about this, about you know, I'd like to kind of like set the stage a little bit. Like what, what, what was it like when you were a child? You could maybe take turns on this since we have two people here today. Um, as far as like the amount of responsibility you had and, um, and now what do you, and maybe we can also then take it into like, what do we see as like the, how much responsibility kids are generally given today? So what, what was it like when you were a child, either, either Dean or Kira, take it away. <laughs> I can start. This is Kira. Hi. Um, it's it's interesting because I would say that I was given a lot of responsibility in terms of trust. So my parents just put a lot of trust in me. There was this kind of unspoken thing that, you know, if as long as you keep being trustworthy and responsible and honest and communicative, we're going to really give you a lot of freedom. So like I had no curfew. Um, parties were at our house, like those kinds of things. But it was really clear whether they said it or not that one mistake and that would go. So as I built trust, they just kept giving more and more responsibility. However, and I've talked about this on our podcast, I had no chores and it was so detrimental. Like it's one of the reasons I'm so passionate about my kids having chores because I just grew up with no sense of that. And now as an adult and like super begrudging every time I have to like wipe down the counters. (laughs) So so it was amazing. They like did such a phenomenal job in this one area and then just kind of dropped the ball in this other area. Um, So yeah, that's, that's kind of what I would say about my upbringing. What about you? Can I ask you about like having, having no chores? I mean, so like you would be like hanging out, reading a book or watching a TV or something. Your parents would be doing all the work in the house. Like, did you have siblings? Did they have chores? Like what was going on? Yeah. So I'm an only and my parents got divorced when I was 12. And so I think that was a part of it was really, I think around the age that maybe they would have even been thinking about me having those bigger responsibilities, like cleaning the house. They were maybe molly coddling me a little bit because they just split up and it was like, oh, don't make her life harder, (laughs) you know? Um, And so I think that was the thought behind it. And then it just you know, tripped into all these other things. But I I mean, I say I had no chores. Like I lived predominantly with my dad. And I mean, I did a lot of, like I cooked for myself. I packed my own lunch. So there was a lot of like day-to-day responsibility. I guess I should be more specific. It was really around cleaning. Like my father did not like that my room was a mess, but never really made it a thing that it had to be clean. I didn't have to help with cleaning. Um, the few times that I did, it was just such a disaster that I think he gave up. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I think I had a lot of grown up responsibilities in terms of some of like taking care of myself, but not so much around contributing to the household, if that makes sense. Kind of like my kids and the fall leaves. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How are you, Dina? Well, for me, I think we've we've come to learn a lot recently. You hear this 
different distinct terminology between authoritarian and authoritative and how it one is detrimental and one is really positive. And I think my parents actually leaned a little more authoritarian. And so it was a pretty strict household, actually. But interestingly, and this might not be popular or common, I came to really appreciate it. I always knew where the boundaries were. There wasn't ambiguity. For someone like me, I'm like super type A firstborn. I liked that it was really clear and that the policies in our household weren't nebulous. So even though I would say it was a pretty strict environment, it was positive for me and I don't resent it or have hard feelings coming out the other side. I did have chores (laughs) and um, I also had some expectations around like grades and things like that. But I can genuinely say overall, it was positive. I don't feel feisty about it looking back on it, but they were they were definitely the boss, I guess, is what I would say. <laughs> that, now, you mentioned the difference between authoritarian and authoritative, and I I don't talk about that very much because I find that, that using those terms like really confusing because they both start with the same darn syllables. <laughs> so just to be clear and specific, like authoritarian is where the parent pushes down all the rules and and says that you do the these things and and you know gives punishments if you don't do those those things and um, authoritative is I don't how, how would you I mean I think of, I think of mindful parenting as authoritative when I've learned it but it's, I have a real I have a real issue about that word authoritative because yeah I, I think feel it's, like it's a very clear word well and it starts with the word authority and I think sometimes yeah, yeah. people bristle at that a little bit and so I can completely understand that so that is really important that you make the distinction and I think authoritarian means a little more like dictator style maybe if we're really calling mm-hmm. it what it is just hey, it's the parent's way or the highway kind of a thing. Whereas authoritative parenting, it's still really clear that the parents are the leaders in the home. They're setting the standards. They're putting some boundaries up. But it's really a sense that we're all a team Mm -hmm. and that the children really do have a voice and you can still be a very emotionally intelligent parent and be authoritative. It's like, yes, I'm the leader, but I'm leading you in love. It's not just I'm the boss and that's the way it is. So there is a distinction there, but you're right. I think those, those terms can be tricky. So thanks for clarifying. Yeah, yeah. I think of authoritative as like, we're all kind of getting our needs met. Um, and we're taking into account everyone's needs. But um, but yeah, I don't like that word. <laughs> <laughs> so so nowadays, right? So there's there's kind of a, like, as far as responsibility, chores and manners and things like that, like, what do you see kind of the general lay of the land now as far as, as far as that goes? Because we've kind of been going through like, there's this like helicopter parenting, we're all very worried, we've got like anxious kids, like, what do you kind of see as the lay of the land now around that? Yeah, and I think what you just said about the word authoritative and, you know, and that distinction captures it. Because I think there is, in some ways, some hesitancy toward fostering responsibility because, well, is that mean? Is it going to be too repressive on my children? Is it going to really stifle who they are, not let them walk into their own uniqueness and all of that? And I think there can be some, some hesitancy around that. And really, what we're all about is saying, you know, those things can be really positive and it's really not whether they're done, it's about how they're done. And so I think sometimes, unfortunately, people will just err on not doing it at all and kind of miss this opportunity to create responsibility by having things like chores and boundaries and things like that, when really there's this amazing opportunity to, by the way we do it, foster responsibility, but really in a loving way. Yeah, I mean, I think that one of the things I see even with my eight-year-olds is that the years of giving responsibility, but also then them earning privileges. So the idea that like, as I get more and more responsible, I also get more and more freedom because I've earned it by showing how responsible I am. There's such a loving trust between us. And I, you know, they know that if they come to me, I'm going to believe what they say. They know that if they are falling down in an area, we're going to work together to get things back on track. There's, there's just a safety in it and a sense of pride for them, like a pride of ownership that I think when what Dina was saying is absolutely true. Like in terms of the lay of the land, I think we've swung so far away from, you know, setting boundaries because we're scared that we don't realize that actually sometimes that those gentle boundaries make our children feel empowered and increase the relationship between us. Yeah. We often say that boundaries essentially say three things. I've got you, you're safe, and I love you. 
And why would we not want to do that? Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I can, I can see my husband has like, has, I'm, I'm like more of a boundary setter. And my husband is like, has trouble setting them. So I'm going to have to like play that little clip back. (laughs) 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 Do I husband, but you know, you bring up a good point, like about chores and things like that. And a former guest I had on uh, Julie Lithcott-Haynes who wrote how to raise an adult. Like she brings up like this studies. um, And like, there was this huge longitudinal Harvard study that showed that the biggest predictor of success like after, and it was followed people over like, like many, many years into their elderly age was whether they did chores as a kid or not. That was like the number one predictor of success. It was really, it's really interesting. Well, it doesn't surprise me because what, what do chores teach? They teach a commitment to the team, right? They teach follow through, they teach responsibility and hard work, and they teach grunt work, which honestly, for anybody who's successful, I'm sure they would all agree they had to do a ton of grunt work. Mm-hmm. And so making peace with that and going, sometimes I'm just going to have to do the grunt work to get to the bigger reward, whatever that is. And so in a family, that's the bigger reward of having privileges and freedom and trust and all those things. In adulthood, that's the bigger reward of a successful business or a big promotion, right? But it's all it's all linked. And it's super positive too, I think even in removing or reducing, if not eliminating the us versus them, because your kids see, oh, we're in this as a team. We all work together to keep the house running smoothly. So you get really this team dynamic too, and your kids don't feel like, oh, well, they they don't have to do it, but they're just putting it all on me. It doesn't create a battleground. And I really love that too. It just sets up such a great team dynamic. Mm-hmm. And it and, and it can lead to a lifelong resentment of doing dishes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was like what my and when I was little, I my brother and I had to like we didn't have a dishwasher, and I we had to every week uh, he was either the dishwasher, or I was the dishwasher. I had a, like a great resentment, and it's funny actually. Though now I'm kind of the main dish. I do a lot of dishwashing in the house. You got I guess I I guess I am good at it. I want to tell you about a great podcast that you should check out, especially if you ever deal with any school system, which you probably do. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. And this season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP and busts common myths about special education. So I checked out the episode on the difference between IEPs and 504 plans because my daughter Maggie uses a 504 plan and it was really, really helpful. It went over all the differences, which one's better, how to get them, different myths and what your rights are, all kinds of different things that you should understand if your child may need extra help in education through an IEP or a 504 plan. The tone is super helpful, friendly, and smart. I highly recommend you check it out. To listen to Understood Explains, just search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's it. Understood Explains. We are supported by Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as Math Mysteries About True Histories. It's a weekly show full of time travel puzzles, hidden equations, history, and lots of laughs. I highly recommend this podcast. It is really wonderful, especially if you have kids like around like six plus, but it can totally be enjoyed by the whole family. So I listened to the episode, The Pirate Queen, and you're just dropped right in the middle of the action. People are fighting. There's sword fight. And then these kids, they've gone on a time travel mission and they have to solve problems in the midst of it. And it really just like exemplifies everything we support here at Mindful Parenting. You know, kids who are adventurous, doing things on the world, they're capable. And then they do things like they have to do math, they have to think critically, they have to code break and pattern solving and all this great stuff. Beyond just the Pirate Queen episode, which I highly recommend, episodes transport listeners to moments in history, too, like Pythagoras, Ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and more. So jump in with your family. Follow the adventures of Max and Molly on an adventure through time with puzzles and hidden equations and laughs. And it really does make learning really fun and really cool. Perfect for ages six and up. 
New episodes drop every Thursday, each stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. So tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids, and you can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. That's Mysteries About True Histories. <laughs> and this is why I think where parents can do this really well to prevent that resentment is building the link between the responsibility and the privilege. Because yeah. a lot of times it's like chores, chores, choresy chores, but without kids realizing what they're getting as they're showing more responsibility. So one of the things we recommend is a chore for every birthday and a privilege for every birthday. I'd say definitely do it. It's really helpful. It will change your relationship with your kids for the better. It will help you communicate better. And just, I'd say communicate better as a person, as a wife, as a spouse. It's been really a positive influence in our lives. So definitely do it. I'd say definitely do it. It's so worth it. The money really is inconsequential when you get so much benefit from being a better parent to your children and feeling like you're connecting more with them and not feeling like you're yelling all the time or you're like, why isn't things working? I would say definitely do it. It's so, so worth it. It'll change you. No matter what age someone's child is, it's a great opportunity for personal growth and it's a great investment in someone's family. I'm very thankful I have this. You can continue in your old habits that aren't working or you can learn some new tools and gain some perspective to shift everything in your parenting. Are you frustrated by parenting? Do you listen to the experts and try all the tips and strategies, but you're just not seeing the results that you want? Or are you lost as to where to start? Does it all seem so overwhelming with too much to learn? Are you yearning for a community of people who get it, who also don't want to threaten and punish to create cooperation? Hi, I'm Hunter Clark-Fields, and if you answered yes to any of these questions, I want you to seriously consider the Mindful Parenting membership. You'll be joining hundreds of members who have discovered the path of mindful parenting and now have confidence and clarity in their parenting. This isn't just another parenting class. This is an opportunity to really discover your unique, lasting relationship, not only with your children, but with yourself. It will translate into lasting, connected relationships, not only with your children, but your partner too. Let me change your life. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com to add your name to the wait list. So you will be the first to be notified when I open the membership for enrollment. I look forward to seeing you on the inside. mindfulparentingcourse.com. So every year you're getting older, you become more capable. And we do this in our house. You get a brand new birthday chore, but you also get a brand new birthday privilege. So maybe this year you have to start, you know, vacuuming once a week, but I'm also going to extend your bedtime by 30 minutes. So they feel that link between as I get bigger and stronger and more capable, I need to be more responsible, but then I'm also capable of having these privileges. And so my kids are like excited, bring mm -hmm. on the chore because I want the, the privilege. privilege. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, wow. Do you talk about that? Do you, t do you ask them in advance, like, what is the privilege they want? What is yeah. the chore they want? Like, do you have those conversations? The chores have always kind of been based on what I see that they're suddenly starting to either do themselves or are becoming capable of doing. Um, but the privilege, yeah, we'll definitely talk about, like, here's what I'm thinking for your birthday privilege this year. Like, what do you guys think? What do you want? You know, let's work together. One of the things I know both Dina and I say in our homes is your opinion really matters to us. We're going to make the final decision, but we really want to hear your input first. Um, so we'll dialogue about that. And, and so they're invested. They're like, I can't wait. To, I mean, my daughter literally wakes up on Saturday mornings and is like, I can't wait to wipe down the windows. I'm so excited to do it because she knows it comes with this privilege. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's so beautiful. Mm -hmm. And just a practical thing that we talk about that might be helpful is Kira talked about watching for what they've become capable of. So she knows what to hand them. Oh, you know, I think they might be ready for this this year. And so we also talk about this really great little helpful process that can show them a new job. And it's called I do it, we do it, you do it. Mm -hmm. So the adult demonstrates the chore first, like making the bed, for example. And then they might 
pull it all apart, and then they do it with their child, kind of helping them along. And then the last step is the child does it. So they've now had a practice round. They've watched it be done well. And that really removes a lot of frustration too with, oh, you got a new birthday chore, but you kind of stink at it. You know, you're (laughs) really doing it right. And so it's a great opportunity to really show them how it's done well. And then they get to own that responsibility going forward. So that's I do it, we do it, you do it. It's a good little system. I like that. That's a lovely, concise way to way to put that. So this is cool. So my daughter's going to be 13 and she's really angling for a phone this year. <laughs> and so I have to think about what is the, the chore that comes, that comes with that equivalent to like a phone privilege. That's, that would be a big one. Yeah. What's the corresponding responsibility yeah, for that? There might be several chores. Yeah. For that one. <laughs> I think it might be. Um, but let's, let's take a step back in time and think about like, when can kids start helping out and start having, have, Having responsibilities in the house and how do we cultivate responsibility at the youngest stages? Yeah, well, they can start really young. I mean, we're talking toddlerhood and there's things like, say, sorting the laundry. Even once you've learned to count with your children or they've learned colors, they can pull out things that are white. I mean, that's something really easy that my kids could do when they were like two. So they can definitely start young and we encourage that. I think the birthday thing, I know Kira started it at four. So, you know, you might wait a little longer for a more complex system around it, but they can definitely help with little things, especially if you're using, say, plastic um, plateware, they can clear their dishes even when they're really little because there's nothing that they would break if that goes wrong and things like that. So there's definitely simple ways you can incorporate them even before those preschool years, which is really nice because you want to set this foundation early. Yeah, you want them to never remember a time where they weren't an active participant in the household, mm-hmm. ideally, right? If we're, if we're starting early on that we're setting the tone for. And, and that's how we encourage parents to dialogue about it. Not like go do your chores, but when the chores are done, thank you so much for participating and keeping our house running. Like, yes. I love that we all work together to do that, to keep our house clean or, you know, whatever the case may be. Thank you for helping me. When you help me, it makes me feel so good. And I love that I get to help you with X, Y, or Z. So creating this idea idea, just like Dina said, if we're all in this together, you set that from the youngest of ages. And here's a great side bonus when you're modeling that appreciation. Hey, thank you so much for helping. I really appreciate that. That really fills my tank when I'm not doing this all myself. You've now modeled being grateful and maybe maybe, just maybe, they might thank you sometimes. (laughs) Because we all know motherhood is like super thankless, right? So you never know when that being a good example might pay off and you actually get a thanks for a meal. And and, and I I say that like being lighthearted, but really it's true. If they're not shown, wow, I should be thankful even for those everyday things that my parents do and not take them for granted, they might not know to do that. And parenting is really thankless and kind of behind the scenes sometimes with really not much gratitude. And so we can model that for our children. And it's amazing how much more grateful they become because they've seen it. Yeah. yeah. And I think, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Um, actually, my daughter who's nine has like thanked me for making dinner the other night like, when I was tired. And I was like, oh, great. Thank you, honey. <laughs> and I think this is the other thing is that, you know, parents are so overwhelmed. We do so much. It's also for us. So yes, all, everything we said is, is the main focal point. We want to raise responsible adults. We want to teach responsibility from a young age, but we also for ourselves need to be passing things off and learning how to do that. How do I say, you know what, actually you're capable of making your bed, so I shouldn't be doing it anymore. You're now capable. I want to take that off my plate and put it on yours because you can, and that's going to make my life easier. I'm going to be a better parent. I'm going to have more energy, right? So that's a nice kind of secondary reason that giving over responsibility consistently over the years is helpful to everyone. Yes, please get good at delegating. I mean, that's a way that you take good care of yourself too and don't get burnt out. I think some parents almost go into martyrdom, like I'll just do it all, but they actually resent doing it all. So this is a really good balance. So at the young ages, you can, um, they can do chores, starting like, I really think of like the whole Montessori system. Cause like my kids were, I we were very involved in Montessori. Like I remember like screwing in the hooks at these like little low levels and putting the pitcher of water down at a low level and the cups down low so they could reach all these things and feeling like, I remember going to other houses and feeling like this, these kids would be like, mommy, daddy, I'm thirsty. I want a cup of water. And I'd be like, God, you know, just give this this child a way to get the water themselves, and then you're you're giving them responsibility. And plus, like when you're when they're young, when they're toddlers, they're super enthusiastic about all the things. Yes. Like wiping is fun, then so you might as well. Yeah. 
Why oh, we'll start this. I'm really glad you said that. It's about helping them reach the standard, right? So if we have an expectation, we also help them reach it. So you're right, making things low, letting them use a stool if they're putting their dish in the sink and things like that. Make it so they can achieve it, make them capable of it. And that makes such a difference. And the enthusiasm is so true. They don't have a negative connotation for chores yet, right? So that's sort of a societal construct that I think comes later. We have an opportunity to create a foundation where it's like, chores are actually just really a positive thing. We just work together to help our household run smoothly. Not this, it's not seen as like a drudgery. So that can be really helpful to take advantage of their enthusiasm. I completely agree. So when we get into like, say, ages five, six, um, what kind of, what kind of chores are, do you see are appropriate for that age or what kind of chores did you give your kids at those ages? Yeah. So I think Dina said my kids started getting like structured chores at age four. Um, so they had four chores at age four and then we add one every single year. Um, so the chores when they were small were things like clearing the dishes. Um, they had to do some quiet time. Um, I was never a fan of getting dressed. It was like, that's just good hygiene. Let's yes. just do that. Um, <laughs> You know, so it was things like that. But as they got into five, they had to start making their beds. Um, my kids are eight now, so they I, I washed the sheets, and they actually, like, put the sheets back on and back in the pillowcases um, around – I'm trying to think what they got last year. Um, this year, they started actual cleaning. So my son vacuums on a Saturday, and my daughter either does counters or windows, depending on what needs to be done. Um, and as they become school age, you know, you can look at things like – putting your backpack away, hanging up your coat, putting your lunchbox up at the top of the counter so that I can clean it out, being responsible for your at-home folder, making sure I get the things that come home from school. These are all things that teach responsibility. Um, We have a thing on the door as my kids exit the door. You know, do you have your, and like a picture of a backpack, a picture of a lunchbox. So I don't ask them about those things. I say, did you check the pictures? Right. And then they go, oh, and they have to look at the pictures and be responsible for gathering those things. As they get older, I won't even be asking that anymore. My Mm -hmm. expectation will be that they're doing that themselves. Yeah. And the the dichotomy, like the the great thing here is with the merging of school, there are school jobs that come kind of quite naturally, like Kira mentioned. And I also handed off making the lunch slowly. So Mm -hmm. first we would organize so that it was like, here's your main course and your fruit and your crackers. And they would know where to grab those, but I had maybe assembled the sandwich. And then maybe the next year it was, you know where to find everything and you're popping it all in. And then by the next year, my hands are totally out of it. You're even making the food. We did the same thing with like laundry because there are some jobs that are kind of multi-step. So my children first learned how to sort laundry and then I was still washing it and folding it, but then they learned to put it away. So then they'd put their folded laundry away in the drawers. And then maybe the next year they were folding and putting it away. And eventually I was hands off. So my kids did their own laundry starting at 10. They did the whole process start to finish, but we stair-stepped them into it. So again, it's about this, not handing them something that's overwhelming. It's watching what they're capable of. And those early grade school years are a wonderful opportunity for starting that foray into house chores and then taking responsibility for what happens with your school stuff and because school's starting. So it's just a great time for it. And I should probably add that neither Dina nor I are advocates of paying for fundamental chores. Mm -hmm. So we love the idea of there are chores above and beyond what's expected of you that you can earn money for. Mm -hmm. But those for us, our birthday chores, for example, those are, you just do them because we all have to pitch in. But if you want to make some money doing something above and beyond that, then I will absolutely help you figure out how we do that. Yeah, it's great. We had a little list of chores and what they were worth that they could do for extra above and beyond. But just being part of helping the household run, that's just expected and we don't pay for that. So that's a great point. So what do you do when your kids are having resistance to taking on those responsibilities and resistance to doing these chores? Like what, do you, what what's your strategy? I'm really glad you said when and not yeah. if. <laughs> if. That is for sure going to happen. So there's a, a lot of things that you can do. And I'm going to let Kira go first because she's still kind of in this and I have teenagers. And so I can talk about some great things for older ones that are really helpful if they get to be kind of a stinker about this. So go ahead. So I think the first thing is if you start this early, you're just going to see less of it. That's what I've noticed. Like it's not that my kids never gripe. Of course they occasionally do, but they gripe much less than my friends who tried to implement chores at age eight. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's the first thing is that, you know, when you set this tone early, it just becomes 
becomes a part of the way that we do things. But um, in our household, they really understand the concept of privileges. This idea that like not everything in our house is guaranteed. TV is a great example. I don't have to let you watch TV. That's a privilege that you earn by being a part of our household, but it doesn't like come with the parenting, right? Mm-hmm. Parenting means keeping you safe and fed and clothed and a roof over your head and loving you well, but I don't actually have to let you watch TV. <laughs> so they know that the way they get the privileges is by showing the responsibility. So the few times that they do gripe, I've just said something simple like, I'm really sorry that you don't want to you know, do your responsibilities to participate in the house. Your privileges are a result of those. So I'm not going to be able to let you watch TV today unless you get that done. And that usually does it. (laughs) We talk a lot about currency, which I think you're probably going to talk about, like finding your kids currency and using that as a means of just helping them understand, you know, consequences, like that every action we have has a consequence, good and bad. So I'll let you talk about that. So so I just want to interrupt here for a second because, you know, when we teach about like, um, you know, rewards and punishment, and we see that like rewards and punishment aren't really that, um, aren't that effective, right? Like as far as parenting goes. And then we, a lot of people have this question of like, well, if, they're not earning their privilege. Is that a punishment? And therefore, like I could, I should kind of avoid it. And I just, I know my own sort of position on that, where is similar to you. It's like really the idea is first we do the first we do our responsibilities, then we do our fun stuff. That's kind of the way I think about it, and that's just how it works. And we have to kind of get these done before we do the fun stuff. Um, so I don't think of it as like, I am punishing you by with no. your screen time. So I don't know. What do you, what do you think about no, that? No, I don't think it's punishment at all. I think it's a life lesson because yeah. the bottom line is if I don't pay my electricity bill, I don't get to watch TV. If I'm not being responsible, there are consequences mm-hmm. for that. So all we're doing as parents is kind of setting that same Tone. Oh, absolutely. And this is a perfect segue into the older ones because it is such a foundational lesson to learn that, oh, when I choose this, here's what comes with it over here, good or bad. You know, when I choose to do my homework, oh, my grades are pretty decent. When I choose not to do it or I turn it in late, my grades are going to suffer or I might have an issue with a teacher. And then there might be other privileges go, that go out the window. So to me, this really doesn't feel punitive. It feels like actually letting them own. You're welcome to choose not to do that chore, but here's what comes with that. And here's what happens as a result. And so for me, now that I've moved into having older children's, children's, (laughs) older children, (laughs) oh my goodness. Um, And we have a whole span of like teens and young adults now. So it's been really helpful to just let them own that. So if the room is a mess, I much prefer if it's not, but I've said, oh, that's totally fine. But at our house, we only have furniture on the floor. So if I see other things on the floor, I'm just going to take them. And so, you know, they, they, they feel like they're very motivated to keep the things that are really important to them. And so I haven't had an issue with that. But the other thing we can do, if you're like, oh, that just feels too punitive to me. I was like, they should be able to have a messy room. You know, you can shut the door. You can choose not to look at it and say, that's your space, but I don't have to look at a mess because this is my home and I'd rather not. Another thing is as they come to care and understand the value of money, we've been able to really use that to our advantage. And so I've sometimes been able to say, no problem. You don't need to use um, to do your chores if you'd rather not. I'm happy to take some of um, the money from your account and pay your sister to do it. And what is really wonderful about that is they understand, start understanding the value of money. They don't want to lose money. And yet I'm not going to have a sibling do it for free or myself do it for free. And it it makes a huge difference. So if you get kids who start to care about money, that you can definitely use that. You mentioned the electronics thing. I think that's becoming really huge and understanding that having devices is a privilege And so we do all our parts in the house to be able to maintain that privilege. So there's a lot of ways to let them own the choice without coming down with the hammer. And like, if this happens, you're not doing this. I also appreciated a moment ago, you mentioned, you know, doing your your jobs before you get to the fun stuff. And we talk a lot about that. I think the old adage, like work before play. And so I will sometimes tell my teenagers, oh my goodness, yeah, you've asked me about going to this thing this weekend. Definitely. Why don't you approach me about that when your jobs are done and we'll talk about it. Mm -hmm. So it just puts the ball in their court that I'm happy to have a talk about doing whatever that fun thing is, but they know the other things have to happen first and then we can have a dialogue about it. Yeah, I think we, we are living in a world, I mean, we talked earlier about like the lay of the land. I think we're living in a world where we're so scared for our kids to have any negative feelings or experiences and they're so essential 
because, excuse me, we're not setting them up for success if we're teaching them that like, oh, you didn't do your chores. Well, I'm still going to give you everything you want. Mm -hmm. That's not how the world works. And Dina and I talk a lot about, we want our kids to fail at home. We want them to experience those lessons now while it's safe and they're loved and cared for. And we can talk about it and dialogue and go, huh, that happened. What do we maybe need to do differently next time? Not give them everything they want and never let them have a bad experience or a negative feeling. And then they get out into the world and they're shocked and they're not prepared. That's, that's not loving them well, even though it feels like it. No one likes to see their kids sad or frustrated or disappointed, but those are normal human experiences and we have to let them have them in that safe environment first. Oh, so good. And we talk a lot about being a needs-based parent, parenting toward your child's needs. And sometimes the need is to learn the life lesson and we're actually loving them best by letting them learn those things so that the world doesn't feel like a slap in the face when they get out there and go, whoa, th- this is nothing like what I experienced growing up and they aren't prepared for it. So then we end up actually doing them a disservice where instead, if we can, instead of clearing the way for our children and making it all smooth, we prepare our children for the path. They are able to go out in the world and go, oh, yep, this makes sense. I remember when I choose this, this happens and I learned this responsibility or I know that sometimes I'm not going to feel great about what happens and that's normal. We've actually done them such a favor to show them how the world works. And so that's where it really isn't punitive. It can really be loving. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness, and I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder. And I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better. Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts. And this is the way you're talking about it. I really appreciate because you're talking about the middle path. It's not like life is hard. So I'm going to make my kids (laughs) suffer and like experience hard life. But it's not like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to be that snowplow clearing away all the responsibilities. So as you talk about this, for me, the, the thing that comes up and I think it makes sense as we kind of move up in the ages too, thinking about say, if we're moving into a child who's like more like nine, 10 or whatever, the idea of homework starts to come in. And personally, and it, it, I get a lot of resistance to this idea from my mindful parenting members, but homework is not, in my world, homework is not my problem homework is their responsibility. And I would, you guys are nodding vigorously. Tell me a little bit more about like this. And I think about it with this idea of like it being okay to, to fail and learn that lesson. Is it okay for you to let your kid not do their homework and suffer the consequences? Talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah. Please let your kid have that experience. (laughs) We would absolutely advocate for that. I think that what happens is you mentioned helicopter parenting and how there's this like major sway to go away from that. And, and we agree, like we don't, we're actually the opposite of that. But I think sometimes people don't realize that by, by 
like, how do I want to say this? I think there's a different way of helicoptering that's actually not parenting, right? So by not wanting any negative thing to ever happen to them and always trying to make their life as happy and joyful as possible, you're helicoptering because you're being this hovering protective over their feelings and their experiences, even if you're not up in their grill all the time. Does that make sense? Yes. To quote the great philosopher, Dory, if you never let anything happen to them, you'll never let anything happen to them. And so, yes, we think sometimes if we just don't let any bad stuff happen to them, that's somehow doing them a favor. But with the homework example around these, you know, nine, 10, getting into these tween ages, it becomes critical to go, I'm going to let some things happen to them. Maybe it didn't get turned in on time and they get to see what happens as a result. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that is mindful parenting. That's what Mm -hmm. you're talking about, right? Being mindful of the long game. That's like, our thing. We have to think long-term. What decisions am I making now? How do they impact my adult child when they're grown? And so that's part of being mindful is thinking, I'd rather they make that mistake now and they get an F or they lose points and we can talk about it than I'm doing it all and making sure they get all these perfect grades and they get out into the world and they have no idea how to manage themselves. And how to, how to manage failure at all. Um, yeah. Awesome. I, I'm glad that, glad to hear that confirmation from you guys, because it can be <laughs> such a tough question and it's so fearful that it just brings up, and then what we have to recognize, you know, for your listener who you have, as you're hearing this, you're like going, oh my God, and clutching your chest, that I can't <laughs> let my ch- child not do their homework. You know, what, this is your stuff, right? Like these are your fears. This is your work to, to work with. And that's okay. So that this is where our kids are, our, our, um, our Zen masters showing us our issues. So let's, let's think about like 10 year olds, 12 year olds, you know, 13 year olds, any ideas for sort of responsibilities and chores, maybe especially 13 year olds. Now that I think about my daughter, (laughs) (laughs) might there be a reason for that? (laughs) I know that, In our household, middle school was a really critical time. So we upped the responsibility, but we did it really strategically and we did it in two ways. And the first is we did increase some of the household responsibility. And right about the time our kids were all becoming tweens, we became a family of seven. I'm in a blended family. So that was like crazy and wild. And so we had to figure out how do we now divvy up chores? Now there's five kids and how do we make them age appropriate? And it was a challenge. But we did step that up. And then secondly, along with that, we stepped up relational responsibility. So what that means is they'd been learning from a young age, at least my two biological kids, about you know problem solving and what happens when I'm having a disagreement with somebody and how do I approach an adult if I have a problem with an adult? And we started to step that up. For me in particular, my kids go to a school that's divided into grammar and secondary school. And secondary school starts at seventh grade. So around this 12 time zone, Uh, time frame rather. And so at that point is when I stopped going to teachers on their behalf. Mm -hmm. So they had to do the relational work if they maybe didn't like a grade or didn't understand an assignment. Now I made sure to let them know, I'm here for you. I've got your back. If you try that first and you're not making progress and you need me to come step in, absolutely, I'm here for you. Again, that message of I've got you. But I had them start to take some ownership over their academic career in that way. And that meant even at home too, if, hey, now I have a step parent and we really worked on not saying, you're not my dad, but saying, you know, I didn't like that you said that to me. And how could they take more ownership of that in those teen years? Now, that absolutely works in a biological intact first marriage family too. So you can start to talk to the adults in your world and say, you know, that didn't make me feel good when that happened. Could we talk about it? So we stepped up, yes, these logistical responsibilities. We also really stepped up relational responsibilities and how much ownership they took for problem solving with people, if that makes sense. Can I ask you a question about that? Because as I kind of think about, this is purely selfish, my my daughter going into 13, um, she's like this kid who's really into a lot of things. She's into, she wants to do scouts. She wants to do this chorus Mm -hmm. thing. She's doing all these things. So she kind of has like a full life, you know, she does piano. I mean, and I actually think that, you know, I'm actually kind of coming around to realize like as the teens, especially now, they, they need those groups and things like that. So that, I feel like that's good. But then I feel like, okay, well, if I think about responsibilities around the house, that I want to add on to her life. Like she's got so much going on. Like I kind of feel a little bad myself, like saying like, 
well, now you have to rake all the leaves. Like, you know what I mean? Like, so, so I actually <laughs> love that. I mean, I'm so glad you're grappling with that because this is also a great time to start figuring out time management and yeah. where do I fit things when I'm busy. That is a life skill they will need their whole life. I mean, look at us being parents and having businesses and you know, recording a podcast and we have to learn where to fit things. So it's actually a great skill to say, you know, I recognize you have a really busy world. Uh, however, you're at the age now where I need to add this particular responsibility. Let's talk together about where we could fit that. Is there a day of the week where that might work better? How can we talk about it and make it work? But time management, great thing to be teaching. So kudos mm-hmm. to you for thinking about that because that is important even when you're busy. And it's all the more reason not to say no to it, but to say yes to it. Did you yeah, I was, like you had uh, no, to say? I was just going to say, what I was going to say was, well, Hunter, I'm sure you have a very full and <laughs> don't have time to rake the leaves either. And exactly what Dina just said that like, you know, the reality is that when she gets into adulthood, she's going to be hopefully living a full and happy life, which, you know, you most likely are. And that's great modeling, right? Like, Mm -hmm. okay, well, I actually can't because I also do this thing that pays the bills and I do Mm -hmm. the grocery shopping and blah, blah, blah. So we're going to have to figure out how you get to be a part of that and you get to learn all this great stuff that's going to set you up for success. Mm -hmm. But the dialoguing, I mean, it it cannot say it enough how important conversations are. I mean, even with my eight-year-olds, we dialogue, dialogue, dialogue. They are a part of this conversation and kids just feel so much better about any decision that comes down in the household if they've been a part of it. If it's not just like, hey, now you rake leaves, but it's, Mm -hmm. you know, look, you have this full life and I need a little more responsibility from you. Just like Dina said, where do we fit it in? Let's work together to figure that out. Yeah. They love it when their voice matters. It makes such a difference. All right. All right. So, and when we have kids, you know, this idea of these responsibilities, they, they're, they're setting our kids up for this idea of like raising an adult so that you are out of a job. You're not doing much by the time they're, they're 18, they're 17, they're 18. Um, then this is, this is the hope and the, the, the great, like angelic voices kind of like, mm-hmm. oh, it's like shining <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So what we do in our house is at 16 or when responsibility shows, but it's usually around there, we actually don't have any more rules. And so they know from the time that they're about eight or nine, they know they're working toward that. And it comes from two really important things. One, I completely agree with you. I'm hoping to work myself out of a job. It's why we call our podcast Raising Adults. I'm not super interested in a 30-year-old on my couch. So it's part of that working you toward that responsibility. But the second piece is what Kira mentioned earlier. Then, when, not if, when they fall down on having all these responsibilities, it's happening while they're still under my roof and we can talk about it. Like, oh, So that didn't go so great. What do you think? What do you think we maybe want to do differently next time? I mean, even down to things like curfew, because if they're 16 and there's no rules, it's not a curfew. But we do talk about things like, well, what do you have going on tomorrow morning? How might that inform when you want to be home tonight? So it's really great. They have all this freedom, but they're able to practice making good decisions. And so they get to do the decision-making and flex that decision-making muscle in a really safe environment for when a mistake happens. And then that way, it's not like the first time they've experienced independence is freedom and freedom is while they're hundreds of miles away from me at college or what have you. So it's been a really helpful framework. They know that that independence is coming that they so long for, but that it's going to be safe if it doesn't go great sometimes. I was going to say, are there boundaries around that? Like what if then they start staying out all night, like all the time and they're not helping out around the house, but they're like, well, I have no rules. So it's too bad. You know, yeah. how, how do you deal question. with that? And I would agree with Kira. I think partly because the foundation was laid, Mm -hmm. I haven't really seen them take advantage of it, Mm -hmm. but they actually do know that they still have the courtesy boundaries, meaning you live in a home with other people. Mm -hmm. So if you come in at O Dark 30 and you're noisy, that's actually really not kind to your other family members. So it's things like that, thinking about consideration for others, thinking about their other responsibilities. And of course, they know that those things go hand in hand. So I'm able to offer you this because you've shown me responsibility. Yeah. As the child who was parented this way, because as I said at the top, that my dad and my mom were really this is how they parented. You have a ton of freedom. There's no curfew, no rules. You don't want to mess that up. 
you value it. Mm -hmm. You feel like you've earned it. The message is I can do this because you have shown me time and time again that you are responsible. You get this amazing thing that none of your friends are getting and how incredible. And I can tell you the last thing you want to do is mess that up. Oh yeah. They, they value it so much. And I can tell you, my daughter just went to college this fall and she has said to me time and time again, I'm so glad you did that because I have friends here who are going off the rails because it's their first time really having freedom and they're just drunk with the freedom and they're doing all these crazy things. And she's like, I'm kind of like this isn't new to me so all she's adjusting to is academics and living in a dorm not also I'm the boss of my own decisions she's used to that and she's really grateful that she had time to practice that while she was still at home Wow, this is like a really unique idea that I have never come across before that I'm really right. going to have to like wrap my head around. I think it's kind of like, uh, and I'm, I'm really intrigued. Uh, it's, I think it's almost like in some way, like kind of like giving, you know, your child like the, the glass of wine at 12 at Thanksgiving. So it becomes this like boring thing you do with your parents and not such a big deal and that you know how to handle or something. And it's not is just this creepy thing you do be at the at the cemetery. <laughs> <laughs> it's always a cemetery, right? <laughs> oh my God. Here's the thing, kind of bringing it back to what we said earlier. I think that when we swing in this direction when our kids are young to like being super free range and not teaching responsibility and not wanting them to suffer and all this stuff, then it's the reverse of what we want. We want to be setting those boundaries when they're young so that as they grow and get older and more comfortable and confident and they've learned all these great lessons, they are ready to launch at 16 and try that out. Whereas if you do it the other way, if you give all this freedom when they're like three or four, like it's cool if you hit me, it's cool if you you know use inappropriate language, it's cool if you speak rudely to other adults and you're not setting those boundaries, then you're doing it backwards. They're little. Mm-hmm. You need to teach them. We have to set the tone for here's what it's going to look like. And now there you go. You did it. You earned it. Yeah. I'm so glad you said that because this is just a little thing I want to piggyback there too. With teenagers, then you also can avoid, or at least I would say reduce, if not eliminate resentment. Because when parents mm-hmm. give all the freedom young and then have to rein it in, because they're like, oh, wait a minute. I actually gave you too much. I'm going to take that away. Take that away. Now they're just resentful, bitter, and more likely to rebel because they're so frustrated that the fences are closing in rather than widening. So we really want to parent in a way that gives increasing freedom as they grow older and as they demonstrate increasing responsibility. So it's like a funnel that gets wider as they get older. You don't want it to be shrinking or everyone's going to feel resentful. Thank you for saying that far more articulately than I did. I don't know about yeah, that. no, no. I think that makes a lot of sense. This is this is so cool. So we're that that this freedom and responsibility, responsibility and privilege going hand in hand, and awesome. really linking it in their minds. I think this is so wonderful and so valuable. I know this. Uh, the listeners are really gonna get a lot from this and maybe maybe re-listen again at different stages in the in their life. This is so great. So thank you. Kira and Dina for taking the time to uh, to come and uh, and talk to us about this because I think this is giving us a lot of food for thought. For me, this whole like no rules, I got a little question mark here. <laughs> I'm gonna be thinking about that. Um, so, um, but thank you, thank you so much for the for for coming to to talk about this. Um, so where where can people find your wonderful podcast where you had recently had like a really fabulous guest on? Oh my gosh, we <laughs> the most fabulous guest on the podcast recently. Her name's Hunter. <laughs> um, so our podcast is called Raising Adults. Not surprising. Not surprising. <laughs> um, and it's on all major podcast platforms. And then we have a website, futurefocusedparenting.com. And we have some online courses on there as well. So we have like a whole fundamentals program, looking breaking down our philosophy. Um, Dina's got a great one on infant sleep. And then I have one on fostering emotional intelligence in, in kids because that's of my jam. Um, and then what else is on there? Um, workbooks. workbooks that we have and all sorts of stuff. Um, so you can find all sorts of stuff there. And then our handles for social media are at Future Focused Parenting with an ED focused. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're on Facebook and Instagram. All right. So if you enjoy this podcast, please hit up Kira and Dina and me and tell me what you think. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Thank you for having us. 
I loved this conversation. I could have talked to them for a while. Definitely had my own takeaways with Kira and Dina. They're so wonderful. So I hope you maybe re-listen to this podcast and share it with your friends because this is so, so valuable. Just want to remind you that I am going to be holding the brand new training, Calm and Connected 10-Day Challenge. And it's going to be starting on January 13th, 2019, if you are in the future, and going for 10 days. And we are going to help you become calmer and more connected to have better relationships with your kids. And it is totally free. So I hope you'll join me. Go check it out at mindfulmamamentor.com. And I can't wait for you to join me. And Other than that, my friend, I hope that you have bought Raising Good Humans. I hope you're leaving your Amazon review, all those wonderful things. And I want to say thank you to everybody who has left me feedback and supported me with all your positive messages. They mean so, so much to me. You have no idea. I really, really appreciate that. And um, I wish you... Wherever you are in your journey, whether you're struggling or whether you're in a good space or wherever it is, I wish you some peace. I wish you, you know, loads of compassion for yourself because it's not easy. It's hard. And and I, I wish you peace and joy this week, my friend. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back with you next week. Namaste. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're gonna talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder. And I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better.